You're listening to a podcast from Blogging Heads TV. Hi, Mickey. Hey, Bob. How you doing? I'm doing okay, except there's a strange orange tinge to the air, which you may notice. Uh, and the air really sucks because there are fires down here in Southern California, actually. Really? You sure about this? I'm sure. Because I looked I've heard at about Northern California, but I, 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 I mean, and I don't want to like doubt your story, but I haven't heard anything about there being fires. There's a big fire right over there east of Burbank, though I don't know what's east of Burbank. And it really is like an orange but, sky, like quasi-apocalyptic. It was, it was two days ago. It was not quasi-apocalyptic. It was just a slight weird, like it was, like it was sunset in the middle of the day, but it was not a, it wasn't like, uh, you know, Blade Runner levels like in San Francisco. Yeah. Because uh, there, there they say like birds aren't singing, ash is raining from the skies. It's like really dark. That sounds like a rock song. It could um, be. The uh, but, Now, is and I assume everyone agrees, even in your circles, that global warming is a factor here? Uh I, I, I'm sure there is. I, I haven't followed it. I'm sure there is a conservative argument that failure to clear the brush. Uh, you know, there used to be many more natural fires and and they've been put out. So there's a lot of brush accumulates and then they explode uh, when it's 114 degrees. That'll happen. Uh, but uh, uh, it, it's definitely uh, bringing home warming to California. Mm hmm. I, I, as you know, I know very little about global warming. Uh, it's like, it's like, it's like the Middle East. It serves me, serves me well to be ignorant of it. Yeah. The, um, I, they also say that, uh, the residential development is exposing more houses to this, but, but the, the magnitude of the fires is, seems to be due at least in part to global warming. Yes. We're, we've also, we also have rolling blackouts, which really do seem to be in part the fault of uh, environmentalists who, you know, we switched to sustainable energy. So the the peak period when, when you're not supposed to use your washer and dryer used to be during the day when everybody used their air conditioning. Now it's in the evening when the solar, solar panels cease generating energy and the system is stressed. Mm -hmm. So now it says use your washer during the day. Don't use it in the evening. Uh, and even that is not enough. So we... You know, I, I don't know. I don't know the exact numbers on this, but we have uh, more renewables, which are unreliable, and less nuclear and natural gas, which is reliable. And as a result, we have rolling blackouts. Hmm. Um, um, and that's uh, not the only quasi-apocalyptic thing about today. Today's nine uh, eleven. Uh, that's right. Um. You know, every morning I wake up in L.A. and uh, I wake up too late to see all the tweets that important people who have blue check marks have deleted in embarrassment. Usually that person is Paul Krugman, and then I have to spend half an hour trying to figure out what the hell Paul Krugman said. This Today, his tweet, which was uh, uh, the subject, what's the word for it? The subject of a... He got ratioed. That's one way to ratioed. put it. He was ratio. That's several times as many replies as likes, and but the likes were in the thousands. But it's still up there, and I don't understand what's so terrible about it. You could explain it to me. I will try to explain it to you. So I actually did. Uh, I actually copied and pasted this tweet because I was a little surprised. I mean, not shocked, but the, 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 that he got so much blowback 
but the magnitude of it uh, was notable. So the, the tweet is, overall, Americans took 9-11 pretty calmly. That's the first sentence, and that's what I think triggered people. He goes on to say, notably, there wasn't a mass outbreak of anti-Muslim sentiment and violence, which could all too easily have happened. And while G.W. Bush was a terrible president, to his credit, he tried to calm prejudice, not feed it. I think the idea that Americans took 9-11 calmly upsets various people for various reasons. For starters, I think some Muslims feel that uh, however laudable uh, Bush's efforts uh, or not laudable, um, they did they did take some heat for a while. Uh, there was surveillance of mosques uh, and 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 then things that the government can't control, uh, just like people being mean to them. But beyond that, you know, there was broader constraint of civil liberties. Uh, we tortured people uh, from various countries. We invaded various countries. We did Guantanamo. We did all kinds of stuff. Uh, but, I, yeah. But that's Krugman is talking about the, the personal, you know, discrimination and, and hostility toward Muslims living in America. And yes, there was some of that, but on you know, on the scale of things compared with other countries, it was relatively small. Even though there are these, you know, there are interest groups whose goal in life is to magnify any slight against Muslims and make it a, a news story. Uh, there just wasn't that much of it. There was some of it. There was some is, of it. Is that there, a reference even, to, the, to the Council on American Islamic Relations by any yes. chance? Yes, that's a. Are, are they worse than any of are, so so they're are they different no, they're, from the the ADL the NAACP you're 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 against no all. they're all part of uh, oversensitive uh, identity politics uh people who are making a living by by uh you know being slighted uh and that's a bad thing but it's much better to not to uh, have an attitude which yes there will be slights but we're plowing ahead and making progress and i think that 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 would put those organizations out of business the way they're doing business now. You know, I mean, the the NAACP, you know, originally, I guess had a, and I think still does have a relatively positive attitude, but grievance mongering. Would you say that, that in the fifties it was being hypersensitive? The NAACP. No, and, and and of course all those organizations started in an era of segregation when it was boosterism. You know, mm-hmm. you were. You're boosting your community, which is great. Boosterism is a lot better than uh, grievance mongering. But, but I, it, I, it does degenerate into as things get better and better and progress is actually being made, I guess, then one becomes uh, turns into the slight uh, gre- grievance business. Well, I do I'm think that a lot here. I think it's easy to underestimate. If you're not a member of an ethnic group, it's easy to underestimate. Uh, how, what persecution there is feels. I mean, a single incident of kind of on the street harassment, I assume could, would be pretty, uh, traumatic. Uh, I don't know. I'm not a member of a group that gets that kind of harassment, but, um, uh, you know, but again, it, there's a lot, I, I think, look at, look at how generally Krugman put makes, this is a mistake. The, the word overall, like over, well, I don't know. It just sounds like a generic claim. Overall, Americans took 9-11 pretty calmly. And some of us think that the blowback is still coming from our overreactions. Now, I tend to emphasize uh, the military overreactions. And Krugman does acknowledge later in this thread that, you know, the Iraq war and so on. Um, 
But it, it just seems to me that uh, across the board, civil liberties, military action, um, and and things like torture, it was pretty extreme, and we're still paying the price. Um, I, 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 I claim. Here's a weird claim. I try to think of: uh, is there any incidents where I have been the subject to uh, slights that would uh, offend other people? And it is it is hard to come up with them. Uh, but there is one weird thing when you live in it. If you're an assimilated Jew and you live in an Orthodox Jewish neighborhood, there is a lot of hostility among Orthodox Jews for assimilated Jews. Do you live in so an Orthodox I, neighborhood? I used to. So mm-hmm. I, I, um, uh, you, they would yell if they're when they're in a group, they tend to yell at you. So yeah, this is occasionally. Int- it's the closest I've come. This is intra-Jewish. Persecution, oh, but I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they're right, and I'm sure they're completely valid. I know, you know, blacks who are who are not at all in the grievance business who are insulted when they go into stores and they're uh, followed around as if they're thieves or they're just not served. And I know, yeah. uh, I know of a couple of cases of where the store owners just assume that a black in the store is there to steal. So the, those are all legitimate things, but in the larger scheme of things, it's, it's, you know, better than it was. And, uh, and, and it could be a whole lot worse. I assume that was Krugman's point. It could have been a whole lot worse. And the, the other point he didn't make, which is Bush's, uh, Bush's, uh, urge to not discriminate against Muslims is, of course, part of his globalist enterprise to make every place like America. And including the Muslim world, so it had a dark side too. Well, I, first of all, I don't think he deserves deep gratitude for there. Pretty much for that, pretty much any president, you know, would do the right thing there, with the possible exception of even Trump would uh, would be forced to utter some words, leaving aside the question of how sincere he seemed. Um, but uh, you know, the 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 interesting thing about Krugman's tweet is it culminates. And, you know, the kind of the kind of punchline is, well, we now know that what we had to worry about wasn't Muslim terrorism so much as kind of I forget how he puts it, white nationalist uh, terrorists or something like that. Uh, And to me, I well, first of all, you 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 uh, you may be skeptical of that. I don't know. I'm well, it always has to have an anti-Trump twist. But yes, if white nationalism is the biggest threat to America, we're in great shape. Uh, what we, you know, even if you give uh, the Kenosha killing, ascribe that to white nationalism, and the Charlottesville killing to white nationalism, that's two killings. Uh, it, you know, and, and, and since the Mora building, has there been a whole lot of white nationalist destruction? No. Uh, and so, you know, it's, it's, that's at least as much that, you know, that's a much bigger boogeyman than, than Muslim terrorists who, who did knock down two big buildings and kill thousands and thousands of people. So, uh, it's, uh, it, it seems that seemed, I wish Krugman were being ratioed for that, but he's not going to be. Um, well, it's not too late for you to do your part. The, uh, I mean, my reaction was a little different. I mean, first of all, obviously that is um, he's kind of subtweeting Trump there, right? When he says the the big problem is white nationalism, uh, that's kind of uh, what he's talking about. And 
I think my connection to, of 9-11 to Trump is that had we not overreacted in certain respects, Trump probably wouldn't be president. You know, if you imagine a 2016 with uh, no Islamic State, uh, without refugees flooding in various directions. I mean, there was a study, by the way, that came out from Brown. And granted, these these studies are, are you know, have to be pretty rough and ready. Uh, I don't know how confidently you can make claims like this. But, but the finding was that at least 37 million people have been displaced as a direct result of the wars fought by the United States since September 11, 2001. You know, they're talking about Afghanistan, Iraq, Pakistan, Yemen, Somalia, and so on. Um, and uh, I, I do believe that if it hadn't, if it hadn't been for various things get, that can be plausibly attributed to 9-11, including uh, a lot of the homegrown, what t- homegrown terrorism there was, where the perpetrators just flatly said, sometimes they, they said this to the people in, at 911, you know, to, to the emergency operators when they called them to report what they were doing. They said, I'm doing this because you're bombing Afghanistan or you invaded Iraq or something. So I, th- I think you take away well, that homegrown terrorism, the refugees, uh, Islamic State and so on. I, I don't see any way. I think Brexit probably doesn't happen. And I think Trump doesn't become president. A lot of a lot of those things. Uh, can be laid at, to the, at the door of Democrats, of course. Uh, the Libya invasion and the Syria uh, yeah. intervention both triggered huge refugee flows. That was done under Obama's watch. Uh, and so, so it, it, yes, it's legitimate that Trump reacted against the excesses of uh, previous administrations. That's usually how it happens. And it's good to know that he seems to be doubling down on it, at least at least in campaign season. He's, uh, you know, withdrawing some more troops from Afghanistan. They, As we discussed previously, they made ending endless wars a, a official sort of part of the Republican convention. Uh, uh, Grinnell, in his spe- excellent speech, sort of linked that up with the overall condemnation of globalism. Uh, I hope Trump is sincere about it. Of course, you can't rely on anything he does at the moment but uh uh but yes you're right so uh yeah he, he, uh, well i'm not making a partisan point as you know my opposition to the the blob is nonpartisan. i i think uh that uh you know all members of the blob should be ushered to the guillotine regardless of party affiliation um, um but uh, but I do think no, of course, they, I mean Bush set the train fundamentally in motion and yes Obama uh, did his part to keep it going without a doubt. He was pr- particularly when it comes to drone strikes. And I thought, by the way, I, to get back to civil liberties, that the assassination of Anwar al-Awlaki, was that his name? Remember the, uh, an American citizen, an American imam, uh, in, where was he at that point? In Yemen or somewhere, uh, without due process. You know, Obama just assassinated him. I, I think that was pretty dubious. And by the way, New York Times Magazine did a great piece on that years and years later, where it turns out that when the FBI first subjected him to surveillance, it's not clear that he was at all radicalized. And then the FBI discovered something about his private life. This is when he was in America. Okay, right. They discovered that he was involved with some prostitute or having an extramarital affair or something. And they started documenting that. 
And he, in reaction to that, there is good reason to believe that in reaction to that, which he became aware of, the surveillance and the ongoing kind of whatever, um, that he then became radicalized and became an enemy of the government, went abroad and so on. So that's a perfect example of, uh, you know, this the, uh, kind of the nexus of the war on terror abroad and the abandonment, in my view, of uh certain uh, protections of civil liberties. On, on, on the other hand, there's an article in the Washington Post today by some intelligence figure currently serving uh, saying that al-Qaeda has basically been defeated since 9-11 and this is a great national achievement and it's probably uh, the product of some of the things we did that had bad side effects that you uh, object to, no? Oh, yeah, I'd have to read the piece. I mean... You know, it's one thing that happened is is for a while Al Qaeda was kind of uh, you know eclipsed by the Islamic State. Right. Um, who knows? I, I mean, the, the obsession with like particular organizations. So, in my view, is and maybe it's a little too simple. Is that the thing to worry about is intense anti-American hatred because in the modern technological environment, that will find a way to express itself. Violently, if there's too much of it, uh, and that's you know that that's that's the thing to focus on, and you will slowly drain the energy from all of these uh, groups if you give people less reason to hate us. And do you think Trump or Biden gives them less reason to hate us? Well, that's a good question. Trump would like to give them less reason, but as we've said, he just can't beat the blob. You know, he 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 would like to get out of Syria. He would like to do this. He would like to do that. So far, he is a shown an inability to do that, and then b in his general kind of I don't know boorishness or something, he creates whole new forms of turbulence. I mean, withdrawing from the Iran deal, uh, you know, let, putting Kushner in charge of the Middle East more or less, and letting him broker this. You know, now the latest uh, chapter on this thing with UAE is okay. So it turns out we're promising them all these stealth fighter aircraft in exchange for saying they like Israel, when in fact they already liked Israel, they just weren't saying it. Um, uh, and now Israel, although Bibi apparently did know about that, he's kind of acting like he didn't, so he can demand that we give him a bunch of weapon systems to counter the weapon systems given to the country that supposedly is now his ally and friend. Oh. Maybe it's, the, it's just, the fighter we're giving them is a fighter that's too expensive to fly. Maybe it's an insidious Israeli plot to drain the UAE treasury by giving them this overpriced, hard-to-maintain F-35 fighter, which is a huge national scandal. Um, I think you've so, gotten to the bottom of this. By the way, speaking of that, have we... Uh, should we? You had this little newsletter item on Jeffrey Epstein. Should we save that for the end when we start getting weird? Or we'll get into that. We'll get into that. We, uh, first, I want to. So, Biden. Biden at the. Uh, Biden said the first thing he's going to do is call our allies and say, "You can trust America again. America is back," which is sort of a pure restoration slogan, which I take to mean the blob wins on foreign policy and globalism wins on trade and immigration. Mainly on trade. So yes, you can, you can put our workers out of work again the way you used to. And yes, we will intervene, uh, in, in foreign countries the way we used to. And I hope that's not an effective campaign tactic. It seems. I don't think that's quite the tactic. On trade, on trade, he is purporting to have been chastened. 
uh, and I think he's now saying that he was kind of misled on on how how effective the labor accords and NAFTA would be or whatever. But but he's definitely acknowledging that NAFTA uh, was not good for all American workers. He's being kind of apologetic about it. He, he's not. It's not full speed ahead. I on- I guess I guess my. But that's not that's not part of that message about phoning the world leaders. But yes, he does say that, and 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 supposedly various aides have have gone got taking harder lines on trade, and uh, and um, he he outlined a vague America first re- resourcing of supply chains policy. But I, I guess what I don't no, nobody will quite come out and say it. The whole point of international trade is that unskilled work. Is done abroad, okay, and it puts American That's not unskilled the whole workers. Point of international the whole trade. point is, is to <laughs> achieve comparative advantage, and the comparative advantage of countries like China and India is vast, vast numbers of competent, unskilled workers uh, who are cheap. So, if you want any trade at all, they're going to do the work, and American workers are not going to do the work. So, somebody should frankly acknowledge that we don't want. The aim of trade, even if it costs us GDP, we want it carefully regulated. So we have always have enough jobs for our people. That doesn't mean we can't have trade. It means there's a well, limit to trade. And, and instead they, they apply, imply that somehow we can get foreign countries for cheating or something when they're not cheating. The whole point is that they take our jobs. Well, okay. First of all, there are countervailing considerations. First of all, most economists would not say the whole point of international trade uh, is to is to find the cheapest workers on the globe. That is a consequence of completely free t- trade. It's not the whole point. The whole point is to meet the demands of consumers in the most efficient way possible. And arguably, the system probably does a pretty good job of that. I'm not saying you should leave. I'm not saying that that should be the only policy goal. But you have to acknowledge that the system does get a lot of goods produced cheaply and the very workers who, who may be hurt in America are also seeing the prices they pay for consumer goods drop and so on. But they don't the, seem happy about it. No, they don't seem happy about it. And and for my money, that's the thing to focus on. I mean, uh, the, the uh, is, you know, when when it gets to the point that you have. Uh, well, let me just start this way. First of all, there there are some upsides of trade we haven't mentioned. One is, I do think economic interdependence between nations is fundamentally a healthy thing. I, I think the evidence is on my side in terms of like discouraging war and stuff and, and leading people of different nationalities and different ethnicities to get to know each other and stuff like that. I think that's good. Secondly, I don't make a big, personally, a big moral distinction between the welfare of Americans and Mexicans. You may. But for me, that's not a moral issue. It's like if you say, well, this job helped a Mexican a whole lot who is in poverty but hurt an American a little, I, I, I am not morally outraged by that. You may be because you may you may put Americans in a special moral class. But when it gets to be a big – like, uh, you know, I do think that, you know, nations need a certain amount of uh, cohesion – and so you do want to avoid massive income inequality yeah. in America, and you want to just meet the needs of, of large numbers of outraged well, Americans. You, sec- want to, you want to pay attention to their demands. I, I agree. The second point you may seem to, to me the most important, which is it's not a question of economistically uh, saying, well, it costs an American worker a dollar, but it, it gains a Mexican worker a dollar fifty. 
it's a question of transcending economics and saying we want the sort of society we want. We want a society of social equals. And in order to do that, you have to be able to make a living as an unskilled worker. Uh, and and uh, so Mexico can have whatever society it wants. Maybe it wants the same thing, maybe not. But the absolute level of income, do they get the dollar fifty? do we get the dollar, is less important than getting the sort of society you want. Uh, once we have that society, we can have trade and all the benefits oh. uh, you want. But it, the second, my second point is, it seems weird to institute all these process rules that say, well, we'll make you hew, we want a fair competition and, and we want you to hew to labor standards and pollution standards and then whatever the outcome is is what the outcome is. No, we want to dictate what the outcome is. We want to say, we need so many jobs in America for our unskilled workers to have the society we want. We're going to regulate trade so we get that, even if it costs our consumers, even if the Chinese play by all the rules and produce better cars cheaper, we're not going to have them. Well, and this once, is a separate and once, argument. And once once we have that number of jobs, so everybody's employed, mm. then we can have all the comparative advantage and cheap consumer goods on top of that that the free trade can give us. But we're not. it's not a process thing. It's not a competition. We want this result, and we're going to get it. Well, there's a separate argument that I think some economists make is that, is that if you if you extreme forms of that lead your entire economic base to slowly deteriorate and you just fall flat out behind other com- countries in your productive capacity. And before you know it, you're not like a first world country. That That's an argument. I, I, I'm not particularly here to make that, but you're just making it sound like super simple. Oh, we just regulate trade to the point where everyone, uh, you know, I mean, and by the way, what is the standard? How much income inequality is acceptable? Because, well, you know, what, 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 how do you know when you're done? It's a political decision. You, 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 you know, people decide when, when, when enough is enough. Uh, and there's an argument and we, you reach some sort of decision, but it's, it's pretty much a consensus now that $12 an hour is not enough for an unskilled worker. Uh, maybe $18, $20 is. Uh, but, um, that's, uh, you know, that's, like like many decisions, uh, it's it, it's the subject of democratic deliberation. Uh, it's 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 like like the decision of uh, uh, of um, you know uh, how much income inequality eventually erodes social equality. It's a decision you make, and you you take into account all the factors: how big is the public sphere, et cetera, et cetera, and you. Uh, and you decide, do we have enough, is this enough for social equality? It's, you know, it's mm. like pornography. You know, when you see it, the, um, uh, you know, I, I mean, one place, uh, my main hobby horse on this is that, you know, regulate trade all you want, but do it multilaterally. And here I would have to give, uh, your man some credit, Trump. There is an interesting, and by the way, Biden in this, I don't know if he meant to, but he acknowledged, that Trump's version of NAFTA, I think is, he said, he acknowledged it's flat out better than NAFTA. He certainly at a, at a minimum said in some respects. Did you see this interview? I saw the segment that discusses this. Yes, he does say that uh, Trump's NAFTA is better than the old NAFTA. Well, there's a, a particular innovation that's where it, it, it's a requirement that if cars are to be eligible for trade within North, free trade within North America, a certain percentage uh, of their parts or something have to be 
made in factories with an average wage of such and such. Anyway, it's it's a way of introducing potentially meaningful floors on wages or upward pressure on wages uh in in NAFTA in a way that wasn't there before. And I and I'm I, I have uh lauded him even in print for that. Uh that that's the kind of way I would like to see it approached is in multilateral trade agreements. And of course Alan Tonelson claims that they've come up with an ingenious way to enforce the rules against China, which it tends to disregard them, which is the only recourse the Chinese have to do have is is to cancel the whole damn agreement, and they're never going to do that if we bring a complaint. So uh, it's some he thinks they've sort of figured out a way to enforce trade rules. Uh, I I I sort of have my doubts, but he knows more about it than I do. Now speaking um, speaking of China, I have a unlike I think almost everyone, I have a China take on the Woodward book. First of all, what do you, what do you, how Great. much do you think the Woodward book you know, there's, did damage? There's, there's this succession of like, you know, every, it's like a pitcher. First they pitch this scandal to Trump, then they pitch this scandal, then they pitch, uh, Jeffrey Goldberg. Uh, now Jeffrey Goldberg's through and they're pitching Woodward. I don't think Woodward is that effective. It, it, it you know, it, it, it was eye opening in, in the, in the one sense that I thought Trump was bullshitting Woodward and just saying he knew it was serious. Uh, when really, in fact, he was conned in, by Xi and, and his own delusions into thinking the virus wasn't serious. That's certainly the way it seemed at the time. Remember when Tucker Carlson had to make his drive across Palm Beach to visit Trump and tell, tell him to take it seriously? Uh, but he told Woodward that he realized it was much more dangerous than the flu very early on, on February 7th, according right. to... To right. Woodward, so that's sort of damning. Yeah. Uh. Uh. And and it just it implies a huge failure of leadership, not a, a self delusion. Uh. And so that's damaging. But we knew Trump had fucked up the pandemic response, so we, that's we, sort of baked in the cake at this point. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, I I think I think the February one is the more damning of the two because in the March conversation with Woodward. Woodward himself, I think, is it March 19th? When is this? But, but Woodward himself says, it's clear from your public declarations that you're now taking this seriously. So by that time, Trump is, do you remember? I think this is probably, do you remember that week when Trump, like, it was like on Thursday or something, he comes out and says one thing about it and everybody goes, that's not enough. And so then the next day, he has another, this time it's a, it's a, it, it, it involves more people, I think, and he's got a guy from Walmart saying they'll set up things in Walmart's parking lot, and, he, and Trump claims that there will be this uh, website where you can go to find out where to get tested, something which still doesn't exist, by the way. Um, so I think the second conversation is uh, takes place after Trump is at least showing intermittent signs of taking it seriously. Uh, the damning thing about that is he acknowledges that in the past tense, he says, he has uh, played it down. And then in February 7th, as you said, in that call, he's he's saying, yeah, this thing is big, but he's clearly not telling America then. But the interesting yeah. thing to – well, go ahead. No you, no, you finish. Well, the interesting thing to me about China is – I mean, remember, his big story is, well – 
you know, if China hadn't kept me from understanding how seriously this was, if they hadn't played it down, we would have known much earlier that it was serious. Well, February 7th, which is very early, the way, you know, the exchange with Woodward is, Woodward says, so how did that phone call with Xi Jinping go? Did he have anything to say? And Trump is like, yeah, this virus thing is serious. I mean, it's like, I don't want to read too much into it because it's not clear that everything Trump goes on to say he heard from Xi Jinping. But the spirit of that exchange is Xi Jinping on February 7th is telling Trump this is a big deal. And Trump's whole China story is that China concealed this thing like forever. Well, but I think Trump is Trump. I think when Trump says he was conned by Xi, which is not exactly a a self-glorifying admission, He's talking about something before February. I think he's talking about something in January. Uh, well, so some it, of he, the he, the problem is everything Trump says is bullshit. So he might have been bullshitting about being conned by Xi. That might have just been his excuse. Uh, he might have been bullshitting to Woodward. He bullshits everybody. Why shouldn't he lie to Woodward? You can't trust anything. People are reacting as if what he said to Woodward is the truth. Well, no. He's trying to con Woodward the same way he cons everybody else. So you're saying so, you're saying even in February seventh, he may have just been hyping the virus for effect, for dramatic. He may effect. Have, yes, he may have been pretending he takes it seriously to appeal to a liberal like Woodward uh, or a Democrat like Woodward. He may be uh, he may not have taken it seriously at all. You have to you have to judge him by what his actual response was. Did he was he preparing behind the scenes while he was giving the public happy talk? Apparently not. Okay, that's what you nail him on. Is is he? I mean, I I believe in panic, and I think he should have uh, gotten the public to take it more seriously. But uh, he, well, how, whatever he says, whenever he says, whether he was conned by Xi or not, he didn't take it seriously enough. Well, I'm, he, just, his I'm response just saying was as Susan Collins said, uneven. I'm just saying February seventh is way way before he publicly started taking it seriously. And by his account, on February 7th, Xi Jinping is emphasizing personally to Donald Trump, this thing is serious. Now, I'm aware that there are some specific things that like there's the, the famous World Health Organization tweet that's like January 17th or 18th or something. I'm, I'm aware of that. I'm just saying that in a, in a broad kind of thematic sense, this works against Trump's narrative. Right. It does. But, you know... My attitude is if that's the best they got, that's not enough. Uh, I don't think it's enough to really move well, the race. So they've, they've shot their Woodward wad. What's next? Uh, uh, what, 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 you know, on the other hand, uh, if you look at the race, Trump's law and order pitch doesn't seem to be working either. Uh, in, in, you know, I, I, I had thought that that would move the race. I thought Trump would go up a couple of points and, uh, and, and maybe even into the lead because people are scared for their safety. And, and that, do, that doesn't seem to have happened, especially in Wisconsin, which is ground zero for this. Uh, Biden has, in fact, gained a few points. He's gained has like he really a, gained in Wisconsin? He's gained a point. Yeah. And he's gained a point in the battleground states. So he's now 3.9 ahead instead of 2.9 or something like that. So well, that's you're so, talking about the real clear politics battleground average, right? Right. Yes. Well, that inc- and, that includes North Carolina. That and, well, he's def- he's going to be even more. He's going to most in Wisconsin. Wisconsin was, is the best state for Biden. He's now seven point six seven points ahead. I was scolded on Twitter for taking the the real clear politics battleground states aggregate seriously. Um, 
the uh, I, I, I don't know how discerning they are about their polls, but but it's certainly true that uh, he hasn't lost much, if any, ground in Wisconsin, even according to other other aggregators of Wisconsin. Well, he's specifically. He's I think it's, if you look I, at, I don't know. I, I mean, I mean, there I mean was, take take Rasmussen yeah. out of it, which happens to be one of the worst for Trump at the moment. But uh, look at legitimate polls. Mm. Biden has gone up in Wisconsin. The only possible saving excuse for Trump is that what you said last week, which is the more it become racialized, the more people lie to the pollsters. So it's become highly racialized in Wisconsin. So you'd expect Biden's numbers to go up as people say, I don't want to be seen as a racist. I'm going to tell people I'm for Biden. But it's hard to believe that explains the whole thing. Right. Yeah. Well, certainly, I mean, yeah, I, I, I do think it's hard to believe that. I, I mean, the, the the fears that the law and order card would work big time for Trump have not been yeah. been visibly substantiated. So he's, he's got to come up with some other pitch to throw, too. And it, it looks like it's going to come down to the debates unless there's a huge shoe to drop, which would be. Something like Epstein. You know, I wrote a call. I wrote, no, I wrote a, I wrote a, a, a rare, I, I deign to write my newsletter this week. Uh, get the and, brand out, Mickey. Tell them what okay. it's called. It's called What's House your- Files. It's on Substack. And, uh, you can subscribe at the top of my Twitter feed. But, um, it, uh, it, you know, we haven't seen what's on the Epstein tapes. Okay. The federal agents raided his townhouse, took in, took his vast trove, of, of, of CDs into custody. They say, you know, so and so with young so and so, each of them meticulously labeled. They're basically a blackmail trove. And, uh, and, and that's my, what the redacted documents say, right? They don't tell us the names. They say so and so with so and so, but you don't see the, the names. That's what the government's brief says. Yes. It, it's, uh, it's redacted. Okay. It, it, yeah. It, it's not redacted. It just, it, it just, it's not blacked out. The brief says, Name plus young name. Right. So we don't know the names, but we know that that is the format that the tapes are labeled. Yes. Yes. And, and I claim, I think it's right that if it were a, if it were a Republican who was targeted, uh, we would have heard about what's in them by now, unless the Republican was Donald Trump, in which case we'll hear about them right before the first or second debate. Whoa. It does maximum damage. So. I don't think this is a Trump scandal. I think he likes overage women. I think, you know. You don't mean overage. You mean. Over legal age. Okay. Uh, and I think, and I think he likes, uh, I think he knew what Epstein was all about. And so I think he was pretty wary, but it's possible that there is something that implicates Trump and we may see it before the election. That's all I'm saying. It, It may not be, it may not be, you know, Trump. Had sex with a 13 year old girl, but it may be Trump had sex with somebody. Who knows? But, uh, so that's, I'm trying to think of the, the possible, uh, you know, bomb that they're going to drop on Trump. This is, this all seems quite orchestrated like a carpet bombing campaign. And, uh, I'm sort of surprised they went with Woodward that soon or Woodward went with what, Woodward. Who that is soon. this they, Mickey? I mean, the guy had a pub date. The guy had a book contract. Do you really think there's like a room where, where the entire anti-Trump conspiracy plots out their moves and they call Simon and Schuster and say, we want the book published on this date because there's this Woodward revelation in it? The, 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 I think there's more conspiracy than you think, judging from my experience with 
welfare reform when things happen and there was a loose, a loose knit sort of self-appointed committee of people who opposed the welfare bill and they sort of knew what was going on. They sort of planned it. And so, uh, this is a much bigger deal. So yes, that all that stuff goes on behind the scenes. Some, do, do we think Woodward timed his book for maximum profits or maximum impact on Trump? That's a good question. Oh, uh, I'm sure. I think he, I, look, I think Simon Schuster is my early. publisher. Let me enlighten you here. <laughs> the, I mean, any commercial publisher in New York is going to set the pub date of a Trump book, like, you know, when they want to maximize. They, they they don't, for commercial reasons, they don't want to publish it three days before he may lose the election, because then uh, interest in the book completely evaporates three days after publication if he loses. So right. this is think, a logical commercial time to release it, and okay. that's why you're seeing it. I think if you're Bob Woodward, you have a lot of leverage in that argument, and you could have more than even I if, have. If, you think if if you if you'd uh, even more than you, he, he um he has some say in when the the date is. But uh, anyway, I'm trying to think of things that would would really damage Trump, and that's one of them. The other one is obviously if the Deutsche Bank subpoenas show some pervasive wrongdoing. But even they, people know that Trump's a... Oh, that's you know, nothing. I mean, look, here's the... People but, know that Trump's a, a, a shady operator. By the way, I have some questions about your Epstein assessment in your newsletter, but should we save them either for the end of this or for the parrot room or something? I We could... We could, we could just... No, I, I think we should... We discussed them in this segment last week, so let's discuss them this week. Now's as good a time as any. But wait, I was going to say something else. Let, let's okay. discuss them say later in this else. podcast. But the something else is, I just think nothing, nothing is going to make a dent. I, I mean, well, I don't quite mean that. What, what I mean is, what anything, whether the, the the Jeffrey Goldberg thing or the Bob Woodward thing, whatever, it runs into the same problem. Which is that there are two different media media ecosystems. One is going to take these things seriously. The other is going to try to discount them. And both are playing to very receptive audiences. So it just becomes very hard to move the needle. Well, it's, it's, it's also that people are for Trump not because they think he's a sterling character or because they disbelieve the things the other media system says, although some have to be reassured. They're for Trump because they think... An America with Trump as president will be better than an America with Biden as president. So they want trade restriction. They want immigration restriction. They want an end of endless wars. That's more important than than whether he respects the troops sufficiently or not. Uh, that's more important than empathy. That's more important than whether he tells Bob Woodward, yes, he realizes he's been living in a privileged cave or not. Uh, and and, and I, don't, I, I don't think they're wrong about that. So... The, the attacks are operating on a different level. You, you, you know, you have to you have to hit the voters with what they care about, and what they care about is issues. Um. Well, I, I'm not denying that either side cares about the issues. If that's the point you're making, that, that there's. But I a think the Biden, the Biden side problem. I've been just thinking about this. The Biden side cares more about ethics and procedural procedural fairness and and a bunch of things that I would say are the superstructure. Um, is Trump, we'll is Trump a cooker enough? We, is, we will is, he talk a moral, about, is he a moral paragon, et cetera, et cetera? We will talk about base and superstructure in the parrot room. That's a, that's a pretty that's, sexy come on. There you go. Okay. <laughs> that, that'll get him paying, paying the big bucks. Um, the, uh, oh, so, okay. See, but, but 
my Epstein, my issues with your Epstein thing are not very political. Um, Should I say what I wrote or you want to say what yeah, I wrote? Yeah, well, yeah, say what you wrote. Well, last week we talked about um, whether uh, people voluntarily put themselves in a blackmailable position. Uh, it, 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 so it, it wasn't like a sting where uh, Epstein, you go to Epstein's mansion, have sex with some uh, attractive young woman, and then Epstein comes and says, I'm sorry, but now I have the goods on you. Uh, ha, ha, ha. And you're shocked. Everybody knows that Epstein surveilled, uh, and you willingly took that risk on yourself. It's like joining the mob. Uh, it's, it's uh, you, you know, when you join you the mean mob. just in exchange for ready access to sex? There's that, and also, what else does the mob do for you? The mob protects you if you're in a jam. So oh, should this should this woman come forward, the mob will discredit her. Uh, should should the, the whole conspiracy uh, be exposed, the mob will act to uh, defuse the situation. And you know the, the the ultimate thing, which you can't talk about, which I think is underneath a lot of the theorizing. It doesn't seem that big a factor to me. Is if Israel is behind this organization, you will get. Jewish donors to give to your campaign. Uh, wait, so that's, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> in other words, if you're, you're more valuable. Suppose, oh, I see. I see. Okay. So the suppose, deal is here, Bill Clinton, so, here is the deal is in your telling. Um, here, Bill Clinton, you get, no, let's don't say Clinton. Who should we say? Well, Clinton is, the, Clinton is the big catch. Uh, but we don't think he was necessarily having sex with underage women, right? No, we don't. In fact, we think it may have been Ghislaine. <laughs> I don't know about Ghislaine. There was a rumor we, about that. We, we, can't, we can't rule out having sex with underage women. He was in the company of underage women who he liked, but it's entirely possible that he's too smart to fall for that, and it's also entirely possible that he likes overage women uh, over the legal age. So... Um, and it's possible that he was completely chased, but I doubt it. Uh, so Mickey's going Clinton out on a limb and saying he Clinton thinks Bill Clinton may not have been completely chased. Can can Clinton, we quote Clinton, you on that? Well, he's getting old. At some point, you stop. You know, the urge goes away. I think we should uh, definitely save that from the for the parrot room, Mickey. Uh, but um, the uh, so anyway, Clinton's a big catch. He's a, the the argument would be if this was a Mossad. Honeypot operation. Yeah, they Clinton would some a politician like Clinton or George Mitchell who was denied it but alleged to be involved. It would voluntarily go into that, and what the Israeli government would sort of you're you're very valuable to the you're more valuable to the Israeli government if you have been compromised or you're compromisable than if you're not compromisable. So they're going to invest in Clinton, and they're going to tell their donors to invest in Clinton. So that's also something he gets. I don't think that's a bit, as big a factor, nor do I think the Israeli government has that much control over that much money. But it's another fact. It's another thing you might get if you join the mob. You don't just get sex. You don't just get protection. If you're a politician, you may get a roster of donors. I think it's a good thing that you moved out of that Orthodox neighborhood. Some of your neighbors <laughs> might not like this theory. And, and, but, and but, the, the but backers first of all, wait, it's crazy, though, because, I mean, donors, the appeal for those donors to give money to a politician is always that they actually vote pro-Israel. 
It's not like you see these weird cases where this person doesn't do what these donors would want politically and yet gets the money because, you know, uh, the mass mailing notes that he's in under Epstein's, you know, guidance or something. What I mean, I mean, all Clinton was president. He didn't vote for anything. So he the the the, all president, all presidents are pro-Israel in some respects and anti-Israel in other respects. They don't do everything Israel wants. Some of them are tougher on Israel. Some of them are, are, are weaker on Israel. Even Trump, as you, as you note, uh, he may want to withdraw for Syria, which Israel won't like. And he may want not to send them jets, which Netanyahu says he doesn't want. Uh-huh. So even, even, you know, Jared's father-in-law is, is in some respects tough on Israel. So it's always a balance and, Presumably Israel just wants to make sure the balance it doesn't tip too far in the other direction. It also could be Saudi Arabia funding all this. It could be a combination of Saudi Arabia and Israel. It could be any number well, of countries. Well, Ghislaine's father Small was, number. by some accounts, an asset for more than one nation's intelligence organization, although the Mossad is probably the most frequently right. mentioned. It's, it's, and, it's, it's, right. And he is said to be the conduit, you know, the, the, the connector, well, speculatively, he may have brought Epstein into touch with these various uh, whoever. True, although everybody involved in the Epstein matters, as we discussed, seems to be pro-Israel, starting with Leslie Wexner uh, and on to Dershowitz uh, and on to Ehud Barak, obviously. So uh, he's surrounded by pro-Israeli people, whether they're, you know, Barak is obviously Mossad, uh, linked to the Mossad. I think he was uh, actually formally involved with them at one point. But... Um, uh, it, it, this, this is all speculation, but, it, but they're the logical candidate if this was funded by an outside intelligence service. And I'm just saying it's not, it's, it was inherently implausible, this, this theory that, you know, Epstein comes down and sits by your bedside and says, sorry, you really fucked up. I have the goods on you now. He doesn't have to do that in my theory. He, he, it all happens organically. And there were, there was two things that I was told since last week. This is gossip. Somebody, somebody told somebody told somebody told me, uh, but it's high grade gossip that first it was obvious to everybody that the flights, you know, not, not a hundred percent everybody. There were some scientists on the, on some of the flights to Epstein's Island. Maybe they didn't know what it was all about, but everybody else knew it was all about sex. Mm-hmm. And it's bullshit if they say it wasn't. And that includes Clinton. And the second is the cameras were not well disguised. If you had, if you well, were at all, if you were at all aware of your surroundings, you basically knew you were being observed. Wait, and you didn't you're, care. You went ahead with it anyway. You're staking that claim to the Eric Weinstein podcast, well, Eric, or what? Well, no, the, the, I have two sources, Bob. So it must be true. I have this gossip which said it was true, and also uh, Eric Weinstein. The gossip says, probably came from the Eric Weinstein podcast. I mean, no, Eric, so Eric Weinstein did this did thing not. about how. Uh, you know, he visited Epstein's mansion once and, you know, he was looking around. He, and first of all, I guess there's all these nudes, uh, you know, and, and on the wall. He, he had the same reaction that many people, including two friends of mine, had when they met Epstein, which is, oh, my God, this man is totally de- a depraved monster. I have to run for my life and get down on my knees and pray. Right. Uh, uh, and he had that very sensible reaction. Yeah, fine, but yes. but, but uh, 
so he said he went up and inspected some painting or something and saw what seemed to him pretty clearly to be. It was a, little... a work of art. It was like some yeah contra- the... machine like contraption. Yeah. And, and I think uh, it wasn't one of the nudes. I mean, if they really wanted people to know that there was a camera, they'd put them in the nudes, right? Because I would think that what the cameras are for is to see if the guys are, like, getting engrossed in the nudes. Because to the extent that they are, they're like, yeah, I'll bet we can do business with this guy. I'll bet he'll be interested. Um, I don't know. But the idea – the problem I have with your assessment – I mean, we shouldn't go on much longer about this. But in your scenario – all of these guys know that every time they have sex with one of the women Epstein provides, they know they're being videotaped. That's your your scenario? Because I think that's nuts. Nobody wants to be – almost nobody, like, is going to, like, welcome that. Almost nobody. They don't welcome it, but if, if, if that's why I think Weinstein's idea, which is, uh, it, yes, it was a honey trap, but it was not dealing in, pedof- in underage women. In other words – uh, uh, the, you can run a honey trap and most are with over eight, with legal women, with 18, 19 year olds and, uh, or 45 year olds. Uh, and, and you don't need the, the, the underage angle to, uh, to run a honey trap. And that, that was just sort of a, a gratuitous extra that Epstein's own personal predilections threw into the mix. And it wasn't functional. And in, in other words, if you were an intelligence agency running this, you'd say, why do we wind up with a pedophile running this? We would much rather have a non-pedophile. Uh, and that doesn't make sense to me because nobody would take the risk you take just for legal sex. I agree with that. But if it was something unobtainable in the outside world, which is underage illegal sex, where you're taking a huge risk, you, know, you might be on N- NBC's To Catch a Predator, uh, you're taking a huge risk if you pursue it in the outside world. Epstein world was a safe place where you could do it. Then you might say, I have to trust Epstein not to expose me. Uh, yes, Epstein has me. But by you the don't balls. think the underage me. women were the appeal? No, no, I'm saying Weinstein's wrong. I think the underage yeah. women were the appeal. And that's oh, the only way. Oh, you think that's the only were. way. That's the only way people could take, would, would take that deal. I agree. That's the only way that deal makes sense to me. I think I think Weinstein is, as he says explicitly, is doesn't want to see Israel as running a pedophilic honey trap. So he thinks it's running an adult honey trap. Whoever was running it may not be Israel, but all arrows point in that direction uh, was running a non-pedophilic honey trap. And I don't think that makes sense because of because the deal doesn't make sense. Are we ever going to find out a lot more about this? I mean, will the proceedings with Ghislaine enlightenness like like these tapes you're referring to are they going to come to light or, or at least the labels I don't know. on them going to come to light i i had a call from one of my key sources uh this morning or yesterday afternoon and i haven't been able to to reach her and by next week maybe i'll have more information on this but the answer is i don't know we should have her in the parrot room you could have her in the parrot room if you want uh really she's she, i doubt would she it. want she's, her identity revealed i doubt it I think she would, but uh, I'd have to ask her. But uh, this woman has, you know, she's is is is, is a credible is, source. Is, is is a public credible source? Yes, but uh, so so she, she's going to set me right. She may agree with you that I'm completely full of it. Uh, <laughs> I didn't put it quite like that, but I do have. But uh, so I'll let you know. So. Uh... 
What else is going on? Did you see the uh, one? One uh, somebody on Twitter suggested you should read Matt Iglesias's book. I should, but uh, is it out yet? It got trashed in the New Republic today. It must be out. I don't know. I um. It's so funny seeing all of these guys who are young, cool, progressive guys being treated like old fogies by the young, cool lefties. I know the juice box mafia is showing its age. When that has dire implications for the likes of you and me, buddy. Because <laughs> um, we're older than they are. Um, yeah, but um, but usually they become more conservative as they go, but Iglesias seems to have doubled down on open borders. So the, the, the I, I, look forward to, I look um, forward to reading his book. Yeah, the New Republic Review I, I did not inspire confidence necessarily. You know, the thesis of his book is uh America should have way 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 more people and uh and could accommodate them and it would be a good thing and I think one of the sources he'd like to see is immigration and okay. I think that's what have it, uh you were having, that, no having driven having just driven vast distances across this great land uh there there's plenty of space but uh there is uh did you, you drive know, if, through Kansas? No, and I, that's all I'm saying. But um, the uh, you know, if if we could have a socially egalitarian society where people at the bottom made enough to participate as equals, uh, having more people is not an so inherently the, bad but, thing. But another point that was made to me whoa, is: Whoa, wait a second! That just reminds me that the the trap that I should have closed on you, you know, long much earlier in this conversation is, you, you know. I, I probably said this to you before, but I mean, like you're saying, we need to rewrite trade laws to reduce income inequality. The, yeah, half the of race. the point of, of your first book was income inequality doesn't matter. Give up. Uh, give up on the quest for anything approaching income equality. The uh, the answer is, uh, you can, it's there in the book. There's always a minimum that people at the bottom have to have to participate equally. And when mm -hmm. I wrote the book, it looked like the bottom was rising uh, and the top was rising. It's just the top was rising faster than the bottom. And I said, don't worry about the top. Don't worry about rich people getting 20 times the wage of workers instead of 10 times. That's not as, as big a factor in social equality as other things like the decay of the public sphere. And But, I, but, but, but since then, it's obvious that the level at the bottom – has actually fallen below what's necessary to participate as an equal, and and so th that's why I, I now emphasize raising the 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 money income of people at the bottom, but not 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 forever. And I don't care if 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 the Gini index of inequality goes up or down. I don't care if rich people if Jeff Bezos makes of uh, you know five billion dollars, five hundred billion dollars, or five thousand billion dollars. Uh, it's 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 as long it's it's a it's a very minor effect on social equality uh, okay. as long, as long, uh, so that's the explanation for that it turns out there is a i i just discovered there's a a, a prominent philosopher who has adopted this view also elizabeth anderson uh and uh i have to read her she doesn't seem to have published a book on it she published a big article on it so i have to read that but who published first, Bob? 
That's what we want to know. Mickey. Mickey did. And he got a front page, very favorable review in the New York Times book review. But it back was all when that, back when that mattered more than it does now. I might. But add. it was all. But it was all. About, it was all about how the book was about welfare, and of course, it it wasn't. The, well, it was you know, the, the story of that book is it was that book review is it was due to the cunning placement of Wolf Blitzer's sister, who was a a famously competent book publicist, and she learned that there was a hole in the New York Times book review and volunteered my book for the hole. Really. And, yeah, and so I owe it all to her, and then she passed away. So, um, well, also, I mean, the guy who wrote the review didn't he? That was J. Anthony Lucas. He didn't he? He, he, he later committed suicide. Yeah. But, so that that uh, book's but, hmm. it's cursed. No, Curse, cursed. J. Anthony Lewis wrote one of, widely conceded to be one of the greatest books ever written. So he was also a great pinball it's, player. It was a sad day. Um, he, I, I think John McPhee wrote a whole piece about him playing pinball. Really? I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, I believe so. Huh. He was. Uh, and John um, McPhee could do anything. Um. Uh, so anyway, um, that's the explanation for that. Um, so on this, okay. So what else is there? I have stray little things. I completely forgot what we were talking about. What were we talking about? Well, we were talking about income inequality and, right. and your oh, book. Oh, Matt Iglesias. Right. We were talking about Matt Iglesias, yeah. Yeah, anyway, I mean, I guess we should wait to say more. The, um, the, 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 the other point I had to make is it was it was driven home to me that, you know, I've been focusing on the effect of immigration on wages, which I think is negative. Mm-hmm. It's not hugely negative. It's like 10%, but it's the fastest 10% that we could reverse. Uh but there's another effect, which is the effect on rents, which I would think Matt Iglesias would be very sensitive to, which is as immigrants crowd into the cities, they push up rents for everybody else. So it becomes harder and harder for pe- for ordinary working people to live in great American cities. Uh, and it's a lot easier to clamp down on immigration than it is to open up zoning laws and build massive numbers of housing without without any ecological side effects, That which is presumably what Iglesias wants. So... There's that point. But I well, should the, read his book before I You should. Complain. In the very near term, I don't think uh, crowding in, in the cities is going to be a big problem. I mean, there's, if anything, the danger of a real estate crash, right? Because of the pandemic, I well, mean. Well, right now, right now that may be true. And also, you know, but there and there was a while when immigration receded. But it's sure going to recede if Iglesias' book is taken as gospel. Meanwhile, in suburban New York, property values are skyrocketing. I'm here to report. Um, the um, is that because you're looking? No, I just know people who uh, because the opposite had been happening for a certain you know out once you get out like Westchester or Fairfield County and uh, and it gets almost quasi rural. Those had been very out of vogue in recent years, and people were having trouble unloading their houses. But that's now been completely reversed because of the pandemic. Um, the uh, So do you think – so do you think Trump – you don't think the, the Woodward thing really matters much. No, you I think – You don't think it matters whether Trump's spot response was very skillful, which I, it probably wasn't. No, Trump's response is rarely skillful. But um, – Speaking was, of which, what, what does it say about the Trump apparatus? I mean it would have only taken one person to have this idea when the Goldberg piece came out for Trump to go on camera and say – you're going to believe the reporting 
of the guy who said, who reported that Saddam Hussein was connected to al-Qaeda and via this false reporting got us involved in the Iraq war. And so naturally, um, of course, uh, wants to, you know, wants to himself that, think that nobody died in vain in these wars which he championed. Well, we're, I mean, I'm, I'm being serious. I, I mean, shouldn't someone somewhere in the White House have had enough historical memory? That would have been... Yes. Uh, and, you know, a blogger, uh, sorry, a writer who I follow, Ryan Jurdusky, of course, had, Jurdusky had exactly that thought and has tweeted it out. He has friends in the White House, but they don't seem to have followed his lead. Uh, that would have been a very good tack to take. Uh, and... Uh, it's a little hard to, I mean, it's, it's, um, there's probably a, at least a germ of truth in Goldberg's reporting, you know? I don't, I don't. Oh, I don't it, know what, it may well be true, yeah. But it would have been a good tactic to say, sure. Mr. Mr. Aflatoxin, who, who, uh. Well, who, that's even a second piece of bad reporting. That, that's your hobby horse. And Mine I think, is the I think, I think my hobby horse on. is better because they were connected with this weird what, Al-Qaeda. Wait, what, it just what wasn't was, important. What was the false part of the reporting? Well, it was a claim about a particular chemical weapon. That Saddam had that he was going to use. Yeah, that was only usable for, you know, mass murder. Uh-huh. And this is, this is sort of just, this is just one example of why we should invade. Yeah. I think it was in response to you, I believe. He wrote oh, this. he but, said um, during that slate debate we had. Yeah, yeah, I link to it all the time. But he is paying a little price for that bullshit. I mean, people not big it, enough, not big enough, not big enough. But it had people have raised it and and said, why you know why is you know why is uh, this person who whose yeah. false reporting led us into Iraq being given a hundred percent credence now. Uh, this will so. not have been given enough emphasis until Lorraine Powell Jobs is waking up in the middle of the night asking <laughs> herself, why am I employing this guy? She could do that at any moment, Bob. That's the problem with working No, but she couldn't. Person. She couldn't because uh, she's now positioned exactly the way she'd like to be. She's anti-Trump. The, she's, she's, loving, she's loving this latest thing, I'm she's sure. She's unlikely to have this uh, – this – revelation until after the election i agree okay so we'll um, get to work but, on um, it then but uh you know the, like we said before the problem is jeffrey goldberg's a great guy so everybody cuts him all this slack um i have no comment <laughs> you, you i agree from i agree that everyone cuts I, you know, him all I, this, I, slack. this is being very al huntish but it does seem to me that the, the debates are now the big thing between now and the election and if you saw the video of Biden asking for the teleprompter to be moved up, uh, it's, uh, it's, when was it's, that? It, it just came out like it was like, it's become an issue now. I don't know when it was. It was at some mm-hmm. AFL CIO, uh, video conference and he's responding to a canned question and he has his canned answer there on the teleprompter, but he can't read it. And he looks like a fucking cadaver. I mean, it's not, it's not just a question. He reads, he reads the report fine. Okay. He, he's, he's all there, but he just looks like he just got out of the crypt. And, uh, I assume there is some drug that they will give to him that will remove this pallor, this deathly pallor. But, uh, you know, he wasn't taking it that day. Uh, so, uh, it seems to me that is a, that is a huge threat. Mickey, don't use the word. I'm fuck. sorry. Look at 
Don't use the word fucking. Look at the video. He may be a cadaver, (laughs) but he's not a fucking cadaver. Okay. Okay. Look, look at the video. We will, I will send the video to the links accompanying this, this podcast vlog and you can decide for yourself. Um, so Mickey, I have to collect myself after being exposed to your profanity. Um, so I'm starting to think Biden can survive any degree of evidence of his cognitive, um, What's the euphemism? His cognitive fill in the blank with something other than grave deficiency or whatever. Well, people are certainly willing to tolerate him being slow, and 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 I actually like I like the slowed down, lost a step, uh, you know, uh, uh, cadaver, you know, part, partially not senile, but but the, but the circuits aren't all working at wet warp speed. I like that Biden better. I like that Biden better than the old Biden who was an arrogant know-it-all who flew off the handle and was insecure and would lash out at people. Now he's like this slow statesman who, you know, you know, and and the fact that he's speaking very carefully means he has to focus on the big picture because if he focused on the small picture, he would get he'd confused. get drawn off into these extraneous. He would get confused. So bits of yeah, so plagiarism this, and this stuff. Biden, the, the the senile Biden is much better than sentient mm. Biden, uh, and, and so he's got to do something even worse than that. But you know why I think he can survive. Yeah. But you know what? My latest evidence that he can survive any uh, you know all this any reasonable amount of evidence of cognitive decline. So in this very in the aftermath of the Goldberg thing. Trump is said to have called our troops losers. Biden naturally comes out and says, and this is impromptu. Uh, I think, I don't think there's any teleprompter involved in this at all. He, he gets, you know, kind of animated about his support for the troops. And uh, this gets widely shared, like, you know, on Twitter for you veterans out there. Look at how emotional he gets about this. And if you listen to what he says, he's like, yeah, this is why I supported legislation to, um, you know, regarding exposure to acid rain. Well, he means Agent Orange, right? He doesn't mean acid rain. He's, right. acid rain. He's talking about veterans. And also the sentences in which he says this, I'm pretty sure if you pay close attention, they mean like the opposite of what he intends them to mean. But it's mm. like this. I, I didn't hear anyone comment on any of this. It was just like shared with like, yeah, tell them. And now maybe you tell me, I mean, I try to pay attention to the Trump media ecosystem and social media ecosystem. I follow some Trump supporters, but you tell me, was, did anybody in the Trump ecosystem like really seize on this? Like, like you mean Agent Orange, not Acid Rain, that kind of thing? I didn't see that, but they were so reeling back on defense that I I don't think they, they thought of that. But, uh, you know, would you rather, Biden is good on empathy. He cries, you know, he's. Yeah. Would you rather have somebody who's empathetic and starts wars that kill with soldiers and then starts wars that kill soldiers, or somebody who has no empathy for soldiers yet stops wars that kill soldiers? Uh, I would choose B, but that's not the choice here, uh, because as we've discussed previously, uh, for my money, Trump has created at least as much uh, threat of war as he has diminished threat of war. That was a great sentence. Right. But anyway, you know what I mean? I know what you mean. I, I think I disagree, but uh, I know what you mean. Uh, it's 
um, you know that they've started peace talks on Afghanistan. I know. It has, uh, it has all the earmarks of the peace talks that ended the Vietnam War, which is we have no leverage. We're getting out. The Taliban will agree to everything and, and then they'll just take over when we leave. And Uh, they've appointed Will Ruger. I think is it ambassador to Afghanistan. I think anyway, it's ambassador. Yeah, yeah, and he's a he's totally a very serious pro withdrawal guy. That that is a sign of seriousness. Yeah. I okay. Well, let's let's hope it is. Um, you know there, um, and let's hope the result is also that the Taliban don't overrun Kabul. But um, well, I mean, I don't think we can guarantee that. I mean, you know, I don't Saigon either. did fall. Yes. But still, um, we were, we were going to have to get out at some point. You would like to minimize the carnage, obviously. Um, um but I, I don't, I don't really know enough about Afghanistan to know how doable that is. Yeah. Um, so, so uh, that's, that's sort of all I had to talk about. Um, yeah, I, I, I just, quick question. I still don't understand why there's no deal on the extension of the kind of economic bailout thing. Like, I would think it would be in the interest of incumbents of both parties to get something done before the election, but maybe I'm wrong. I think the Democrats have made the calculation that it's more important to get rid of Trump even at the expense of maybe losing some of their incumbents. But then – Because they think they're – you know, they're they're, they're, – in the Senate, they're the insurgents. So hurting the incumbents helps the Democrats in the House. They're the incumbents and they'd like to expand – their lead, but they're willing to sacrifice that. Uh, well, that's it, a lot of party uh, what, discipline, man. I, I, they have a, the House has party discipline, and Pelosi exercises it. That's that's what makes the House the House. But um, also, um, it's just insane for Trump not to have guaranteed that money was going to rain down on Americans from the day the pandemic started until Election Day. Well, he did it just, do it this. Been a check every damn month. He did do this $300 a week thing uh, by, I don't know if that was executive order or what. It was but, by executive, yeah. And my question is, well, two things. Are the Democrats, isn't there a chance that people are saying, well, Congress won't give us anything, but at least Trump is giving us this $300 a week, A. And B, if he has the power to do this, why doesn't he, why didn't he stick with the 600 or whatever the pre-existing number was? And why doesn't he keep extending it forever and just get all the credit? Well, so they'll be, they'll be, they'll have mixed opinions of Trump. Uh, even under your theory, they'll say, well, thanks Trump, but why didn't you do more? So where does that leave him? Are they pro-Trump or anti-Trump? Well, I don't know, uh, but, but, but what about my second question? If he has this kind of power, why doesn't he give him twice as much well, money think, through the election? I think there are two reasons. One is he thought $600 was too much because it was stopping people from going back to work. 300 is a reasonable amount. 400 would probably be better, but 600 is arguably quite a bit, uh, since it exceeds the wage. Or you should have made it that they get it whether they go back to work or not. That would have been even better. But, um, uh, and also he's going to run out of money. And part of the problem mm-hmm. with his executive order is he runs out of money in a while. So the pots of money from which he's drawing are finite. So, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a stopgap at best. And it also doesn't have the $1,200 checks to everybody, which is what I think he should have done. He should, you know, the combination of the $1,200 and the added unemployment was actually, according to Jason DePaul, I believe, very effective at preventing Americans from slipping into poverty. And he should have just somehow negotiated that to be permanent. Uh-huh. Uh, I assume the problem is his own party, not the Democrats, were stopping him. 
uh, and he should have, you know, done a sister soldier with some Republican deficit hawks. Uh, but um, so he and Biden both need a sister soldier. But it looks like we were wrong about Biden needing one desperately. He seems to, for now, be surviving the law and order issue without a sister he's, soldier. He's moment. surviving, I think, uh, unless there's this, you know, shy Trump lying to pollsters effect. Uh, he's surviving on the grounds that people know that if Biden's elected, the riots are going to go away, or else they think of that. Mm-hmm. And yes, that's sort of an extortion scheme, but it's also rational thinking. It's part of the rational thinking that helped end the Vietnam War. I think people thought, you know, society is coming apart. The only way to stop it coming apart is to end the Vietnam War. So, uh, you know, that was extortion. It's effective extortion. But uh, it's it's not extortion in the minds of the voters who just want the disorder to end. Yeah, I'm and, not sure about the analogy. I mean, I, I don't think the, the, the protests slash riots are as grounded in Trump's being president as the as the earlier protests were in well, the they might Vietnam be wrong. War, but they but, might be wrong, but I think that's that's a calculation. That would, be, that would be an explanation. And also you never underestimate the extent to which even if the even if the protests are sort of wild leftists who hate Democrats as well as Republicans as they seem to be in Portland, the energy behind them and the energy behind people who sort of vaguely support them Mm-hmm. is is hints to Trump. By the way, uh, uh, speaking of things that are behind the riots, some there was some number that came out, the percentage of people in their 20s who are living at home or something, or, I mean, it's incredibly, oh, 50%, yeah, 52% of American young adults are living with their parents, the highest share since the Great Depression, According to the Pew Research Center, and the thing is, before the pandemic, the number was 48. So this is, you know, the pandemic has exacerbated this, but this is like a structural thing that I think, you know, really helps account for the... It's not not because they are pushed out of rental places due to uh, immigration, immigrants bidding up the rents? I don't know. That could be some factor. But I think the larger problem is like what kinds of jobs are available for millennials coming yeah. out of college, I think. Right. And and I don't think I, I mean, the the millennials coming out of college, I don't think face a lot of competition from uh, immigrants from the South. But the big, uh, yeah. For jobs, I mean, the, yeah, the um, the underlying problem is neither politician and neither party comes close to describing a future that Americans will want to go to. Uh, you know, Trump has this idea, well, we're going to be great like we were. Well, we voters know that those days are past. So what's the future going to be now? And Biden just says he wants to restore the status quo ante, which the voters rejected in the first place. So it's... Yeah, although you know, Trump it, has... Trump these has, are problems are very deep. Trump has made the status quo ante seem better than it felt at the time. That That's his enduring accomplishment. Not to me. Well, but I think that's if Biden wins, that's what's going to get Biden elected is is people are just like, God, give us a breathing spell. Yeah, no, that's true. It's like it's it's I just can't take this anymore. Just just a president who does crazy shit every day. It's just I just I just I'm sick of it. And and, uh, you know, get get me out of this movie. But that's different than the substructure, Bob, of what is going on in the economy. Well, this is going to. Are there going to be jobs for people that they want to perform? Well, this is Trump, the great disservice Trump has done to the people he elected 
who elected him as he has taken attention away from the legitimate grievances they have and the and the issues that that their situation actually raises. And he's put all the attention on what an obnoxious, crazy yeah. asshole he he's, is. He's addressed some of the grievances, as you know, I think. Wages for unskilled workers were rising until the pandemic hit. It was all the labor market was tightening. That's the main thing Hmm. that Trump could accomplish in terms of laying out a future for middle class Americans that they want to participate in and they're enthusiastic about. Even even if it were some great national mission like fighting communism or putting a man on the moon or, you know, in China, I guess it's, you know, one China, including Taiwan. I mean, there are all sorts of national missions, missions that seem to motivate people. He ain't doing any of that, and neither is Biden. No. Well, um, we'll see. Um, uh, by the way, so we will now take the rest of this into the parrot room. Right. Um, I, I, I want to thank people who signed up uh, between uh, – oh, 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 that reminds me. Like somebody on Twitter um, came up with – you know, so the parrot room is the name of this – place where we have this conversation that is available to Patreon supporters. First, I want to thank, you know, the Patreon supporters who got us above the 400 mark this week. Uh, that was very encouraging. That was very encouraging. Um, but then um, separate from that, uh, you know, there's uh, for some time since we started this, uh, there have been, people have been suggesting names for it. Should we turn it into a podcast per se? Um, I mean, it is a podcast, but right now it doesn't have its own feed. If you want the podcast, the easiest feed to find it on is the right show. That's my show. I do a couple of shows a week. This is one of them, but there is still the possibility of turning it into its own feed. Right. I know this is kind of confusing. You got the parrot room. You might have a different name for the podcast. Anyway, my main point is somebody came up with a, nominee that I thought was really, in terms of cleverness, was up there. Okay, for name of podcast? Yeah. Okay, this is from Noah Liebenau. And remember, this started out as a pandemic thing, right? And then it got broader. He says, you should call this podcast The Anti-Buddies. The Anti-Buddies. That's pretty good. Although It is pretty good. It's it's witty. I don't know if it's saleable that's the, the problem i have with the parrot room is you know you want to you want to start a massive advertising thing you want the cutting edge of politics go to the parrot room <laughs> the parrot room does not sound like a serious discussion of politics right so uh so you're looking for uh, a name that screams and serious I think, I think, discussion I think, of politics i think anti-buddies has sort of the same problem but you got to admit, it's clever. It's like we it's are to buddies what anti-heroes are right. to heroes, Mickey. I understand. But, Plus, uh, there's the and, reference to anti-buddies. I, I understand. I understand. It's, it's good. A better, it's a better name than the band that decided to call themselves the Beatles. And whatever happened to them, there's a shitty name if there ever was one. Right. Uh, we, we, can so, sur- we can survive. We could survive anybody's. I agree. We but, can survive anybody's. Uh so, um, okay. So I'll see you, um, in the parrot room. Okay. And, thank uh, you. and, uh, and, and also next week here at the same time place. And I, and I will be less disoriented then because I, as people may be able to tell, I'm in a new location, a secure undisclosed location. 
younger uh, viewers will not recognize that as a reference to 9-11, but it is one. Um, and uh, I'll be more together and less disoriented. Okay. All right. So I'll see you. See you soon.